0: Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, as we've heard the word red, and as we've had those visuals of the city, a place to which we all belong in one form or another, we ask that you would bring to us a vision of the eternal city, the place that the justice that is described in this passage, that it just flourishes, that it's everywhere that the poor are cared for, that the oppressed are set free. We want to be a part of that. We want to walk into that faithfully like Christ would have us. And so through these next moments, hearing your word, receiving it, being shaped by it, God, we trust you. Would you lead us forward during this time? May the words of my mouth and the things that each of us consider in our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen want to welcome you all again here this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. Love to encourage you to fill out one of those welcome cards and give it to one of our ushers. We'll make sure we keep in touch with you. I got to tell you a story about my dating life in high school. Are you ready? This is going to be a little embarrassing, but I've been preparing myself prayerfully through fasting all week. Uh, I took a young woman out when I was a high school student and we went to an ice cream place uh, near where I grew up. Anyone else grew up around Marble Slab Creamery? Do you know what that was? It was where they would mix in the candy and like, you know turn it all over and inside out. Everybody does that now, but at the time, it was quite revolutionary. So we went, and we got this ice cream. We had a nice conversation, and I don't know how this happened, but we were talking about things that we love, right? It's a good way to get to know somebody. Like, what are the things that you like a lot? What are the things that you love? And so I think she had shared something about she was a volleyball player, so she loved volleyball, and she you know, loved her family and all this kind of thing. And so I thought I would be cool... And I said, I really do care about the environment. And as I said that, we were walking out to the car, and I had some trash in my hand, and I just threw the trash on the ground. (laughs) Like, just walking along, I really care about the environment, boop. And the best part of this story is she saw it, and she stops, and she looks at me, and she goes, you going to pick that up? I claimed a value that I clearly did not have. How many of us have had moments like that where we say, what do you value? And then something comes up and we go, Nope, that's not it. I've been thinking a lot about values this week. The text, I think, lifts up some really clear values from Messiah. And those are outlined in your bulletin. There's three different values that we're going to talk about today. And I tell that story, I mean, yeah, it's kind of humorous, but there are things that I actually do value. I'd say I I do value the environment to a degree, like I recycle, right? One of the deep values for me personally, as a pastor and as just a person, is I value people. I value being intentional with others. I value knowing and relating to people in a way that's beyond the surface. That is a value that I have, that I try to honor people Maybe you have a value that's really important to you that you learned from your family. Super huge value for hard work. Maybe that was something for you growing up. Maybe, uh, unlike high school me, you really do care about the environment. (laughs) That's a value. Here on the East Side, we value expertise, don't we? We value subject matter experts. We value training and proficiency and excellence. These are all good things. But what the text is challenging us to do and to be today is different than just an expert in something. It is becoming a type of person. That's our premise for this Advent sermon series. We're preparing for Christmas. We're reading through the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is all about who is this Messiah? Who is this king? Who's this person who's coming to rule and to reign? And what we've said is Messiah, who Messiah is, shapes who Messiah's people will become. That's our kind of theme for the whole series. Today, specifically, I want to offer kind of a a one level down from that about values. And our thesis goes like this. What we become is built on what we value. What you and I become, who we become, is built on what we value. Three sets of values in today's text outlined in your bulletin. Spirit-filled and anointed, that's knowing who we are. That's our identity second one, living for Messiah's purposes, that's mission and justice. If we say we want to be a just people, what does that look like? And finally, honoring God and people. So if you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to spend the whole time this morning in Isaiah 61. I'll mention some other references, but Isaiah 61 is where you want to be. Get, your, get it up on your Bible app. Open up that old school Bible of yours. If you don't have a Bible, we have several at the back table. love for you to grab one of those. Now, where do we get these two concepts of spirit-filled and anointed? It's right there at the beginning of the text. I'm reading the first part of Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Now, before we get into, like, what does that mean and what are you supposed to go do and the tasks and all that kind of thing, this is a statement of identity. Let's look at both for just a minute. Spirit-filled, what does that mean? Yes, it definitely can connect to the presence of the Holy Spirit. As people who are living after the resurrection, after Pentecost, we need to connect that to this reality. Yes, there is a tip of the cap to the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is upon me. But let's go a little deeper than that, shall we? The Hebrew word here for Spirit is ruach. And that's a great word to say if you have a cold. Ruach. We saw this word last week. We didn't talk about it, but we saw it last week when we studied Genesis 1. The spirit of God at creation is hovering over the waters, breathing upon creation, bringing order to creation. That's what the spirit does. A related word comes a little bit later in the creation story when God breathes life into Abraham or into not Abraham, into Adam. He gives him the breath of life. Different words, similar theme. Only human beings have this breath given to them. Nobody else does. No part of creation, no animal, no corner of the world, nothing except human beings enjoys this blessing of the breath of God. So every person you have ever met has this spirit. They may not be someone that claims to be a spiritual person. They may not be someone that says, I'm following Jesus or I'm doing this, that, or the other. Who they are deep down is that they are made in the image of God and they have been given life and breath by God. Think about the most annoying co-worker you've ever had. That person has the ruach. They have the breath. They have the life of God in them. There's that great quote from C.S. Lewis, you've never met a mere mortal, You've never met just a person. You have met people extraordinarily made, fashioned in the image of God. So spirit-filled means we recognize that in others, and we are called to treat them with respect because of that. Second thing that we have to talk about is being anointed. This is a little bit more challenging. The text says that Messiah, and thus Messiah's people, is anointed. What does that mean? Anointed, the original word, can be translated as something symbolic, usually like an oil or a liquid the symbolism being divine empowerment for a task or office. You see this word come up a whole bunch in the Old Testament when it's talking about the priestly orders, the people who belonged to particular tribes who were called to spiritual leadership in the nation of Israel. Those people were anointed for that work. They were anointed before they were sent out to do ministry. They were anointed for these purposes. They were chosen and empowered by God for this special work. So how did they do that? Go back to our thesis statement. What we become is built on what we value. Those leaders did not just trip and fall into spiritual leadership or authority. They had to value it. It had to be something that was rising up in them daily. And we talked about this at our men's breakfast last week, but it's just so important to mention it again. Deuteronomy 6 would have been one of the foundations for this community, and it's a foundation to this day for many in the Jewish community. This is the Shema. This is kind of the mission statement of what it means to be in a Jewish family. Listen to this. This is Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God, say it with me, Bethany, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's a statement of value, is it not? These are the orderings that you are supposed to pursue, Israel. This is how your life's supposed to look, people of God. You ain't going to do it perfectly. Just me saying earlier that I'm intentional with people does not mean I do it perfectly. It just means it is a value. This is a value for the people of God. And whenever they messed up, God would bring them back. God would bring them back. I remember the first time I ever read through the scriptures and I read about Josiah, this young leader rediscovering the book of the law. And he found it and he brought it to the people and he said, this is who we are. This is who we're supposed to be. He was anointed. He was called to that moment. To remind the people of Israel of their true identity, and the same is true for us, church. No matter where you spend your week, whether it's raising children inside the home, whether it is teaching, whether it is in medicine or technology or ministry to college students, you have an order to your life, and it's here in the text. You are to love the Lord your God. You're to be spirit-filled and anointed, but you're going toward this value. That the best way to love anyone or anything, your family, your work, your neighborhood, is not to love it first, but to love God first. And let that be the source through which everything else downstream can flow. Values aren't just for people, churches have values. Visitors often, when they come to check us out as a church, they go, What's this place about? What do they value? One of our values at Bethany is passing the torch of leadership from one generation to the next. 102 years. We have tried to take this seriously. Have we done it perfectly? Absolutely not. But we have tried. And what does that mean for us? It means that we try to take kids and families seriously. It means that no matter what, if you are single, if you are divorced, if if there are no kids in your house, if you haven't seen a kid in years, you are going to come here and you are going to be encouraged to take part in this passing the torch of leadership. We take kids seriously. You all just did this. We did this together with the Crow family. We made some very serious promises not too long ago because we're serious about this passing the torch of leadership, that these kids, these precious kids, will see not a superficial faith, but they will see a group of adults who looks at them and says, hey, I don't have this figured out but let me tell you a story. Let me share something from my life. Let me encourage you. Those of you that have adult children, you know every single one of your kids was impacted by someone investing in them, by someone caring for them, passing the torch. What part are you and I playing in that? I had fun thinking about this week because I picture all of the people here at this church who love our kids and those of you who teach and those of you who hold babies in the nursery And those of you who are launching out in this new adventure with our tween team that Kristen has been building, it's so amazing. I can think of so many people in this church that I would long for my children to grow up and be like. If my daughters are like some of the women in this church, oh man, if my son has the character and the fortitude of some of the men in this church, oh, that would be incredible. And I know those of you who serve take part in this and you get this, but I just want to continue to encourage us and to lean into this value of passing the torch. We're spirit filled and anointed, not for a holy huddle, not for ourselves, but to live into this value of showing our kids the one true God. So, the challenge this week to consider is every one of us, if you follow Jesus Christ, you had someone do this for you, you had a teacher. You had a youth group leader. You had someone who made Sunday school happen in your church. You had someone who didn't have a title, didn't have any sort of formal responsibility, but they looked at you and said, I'm going to make it my life's mission to make sure you know about the saving grace of Jesus. Your job this week is to call that person. Send them an email. If they've passed, maybe you just spend some time praying and thanking God for them, but you call them up and you say, hey, Merry Christmas. Thank you for investing in me. Thank you for taking your own vacation time to come and go on youth group trips with me. I, I've had so many people like this for me. One of my key mentors, the man that led me to faith in Christ, Trey, I've talked a lot about him. I need to give him a call and just say, thanks, Trey. Thanks for stepping courageously into my life when I was a teenager. There are so many people that have invested so much in me. It's amazing to think of, and yet it is so easy just to kind of keep going and not remember those great souls who came before me. So would you, Bethany, this week, be an encouraging church and call those people up and say, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me. So that's anointed. That is spirit-filled. That is what the people of God are called to be about. Now let's talk about justice, mission and justice. This is part two. Let's look at some really clear examples of how this lives in people's lives. So I'm going to read kind of the second half of verse 1, and then the first part of verse 2. This is Isaiah 61. He, Messiah, has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance for our God. If those words sound familiar, uh, you're right. Jesus quotes these words in Luke chapter 4. He read these words at the temple. He has just had this crazy moment where he has been tempted by the enemy and he goes into the temple. He is filled with the Spirit. He names these things. He unrolls the scroll of the book of Isaiah and he tells this waiting audience of very smart, very religious people, I am Messiah. And he didn't just come to say this to declare to them, and you haven't been doing this, and we need to be better about this, and all this kind of thing. He came to declare, this is how the world's supposed to be. And the church, Jesus' living family, is responsible for making this walk and talk in real life. Whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer together, you guys, thy kingdom comes, thy will be done. We are asking for this part of Isaiah to become real, to step into the hard work of fighting injustices that we see every day in our world to care for the poor and the vulnerable. Why do you think we have those giving trees at the back of our sanctuary today? We are doing our best to say the poor and the vulnerable are in our community and they will not be ignored. And if you have not had an opportunity yet to pick up one of those tags and invest in the life of someone who is really struggling, I would encourage you to do so. How does all of this happen? How does how do a bunch of people in Kirkland on a Sunday morning go out and do the incredible work of building the kingdom and being a just people during the week? Listen to the message translation of verse 8 from Isaiah 61. Hear this. Because I, God, love fair dealing and hate thievery and crime, I'll pay your wages on time and in full and establish my eternal covenant with you. I love this. God doesn't just say, all right, everybody, justice, here we go. Let's go. Go do it. He says, no, I will equip you and I will keep you safe in my covenant relationship with me. You will have every resource you need, church, to go and chase down the work of justice, and you will do it knowing that I abide with you and I do not break my promises. And you will have the most wonderful foundation to do any kind of work that is risky, that is changing the world, that is confronting principalities and powers. It's never happening by yourself. It's happening in this covenant with me. That is good news, church. That is really good news, because if we try to do it by ourselves, oof, that's not pretty. That's like saying you care about the environment, throwing some trash on the ground. Messiah promises, wages on time and in full. The resources are there. Psalm 145, you open your hand and you satisfy the desires of all things. If you have a desire in your heart for hungry kids to be fed... Messiah will give you the wages, the the energy, the resources, the stuff that you need to step into that. If you have a desire to seek racial healing in our community, you're not just going to go chase that down. You are going to be given, in the nature of a covenant relationship, every resource you could possibly need for God's purposes. You may think you have a purpose for justice or for righteousness, and you're trying to do it, and it's just not working. Is it God's purpose for you? And would he have you use your skills and your gifts and your tools in a different way? Think of that this week, friends. How might we experience this? Not just picture it, not just give an intellectual nod to this idea of justice. We step into this provision, and it starts with seeing. It starts with seeing. A few years ago, I was uh, visiting a mission partner that uh, a church I served had in Uganda. Anybody been to Uganda? Beautiful country. Beautiful country. Uh, it 's one of it 's just glorious, the lakes and rivers kind of rolling hills, beautiful and green and One of the things that we did when we were there is we would visit with local churches these vacation Bible schools, these outdoor sites where, where these leaders would come and they would do a Bible lesson they 'd do a bunch of games, they would have some snacks for kids, and they would be in these rural communities where these kids would come for miles, and they would come to just play and hang out and be with their friends. And they were fascinated by us goofy-looking white people. And it was fun, and we had a great time. And I'll never forget this. We gave away some snacks. Uh, we gave away candy. Okay, so no, we were not you know, doing the most healthy thing, right? But we gave away these suckers, these little lollipops, you know, with the white wrappers on them that are all these different flavors? My kids get these when we go to the barber shop, so I always remember this when we go there. And I remember giving these out to kids, and they were so excited, and they would unwrap them, and they, would, they were kids, so they would devour them in like five seconds, you know. But because this was a place of poverty, those kids would find every last bit of candy on that stick. And they would savor it. They would enjoy it. And what I saw, this is the seeing piece. This is what I can't get out of my head, and I pray God never lets me get it out of my head. What I saw wasn't just finding every piece of candy, even the little shards and shreds that were left on the stick, what I saw were kids who would eat the stick, the little paper stick, because they were hungry, because that was it. That was all they had. And thank God we were partnering with an agency there that said, yeah, we know, we, <laughs> they're not just getting lollipops today. We're going to help. But we have to see. Do you see the kid eating a stick? Do you see a kid waiting on a bus that has no one to come home to? Do you see these places of injustice? Do you see these cycles at your work where people who are just so broken and so leading from a place of darkness, they keep getting promoted, they keep having stuff done, they keep having all this supposed good things happen to them, and you just go, gosh, what am I supposed to do with this? What if you were there to pray and to bring about change that matters to your organization, to your business, to your neighborhood, What if you see things at your kid's school and you go, it shouldn't be that way. And I don't know what to do, Jesus, but you do. I would love for us to be a church that is just thriving with these ideas of how to end the injustices that we see all around us. And that we work on it together, that we pray and submit these things together. Let us be a people who see and respond Because if this is true, if what we become is built upon what we value, if we say we value justice, and if we say we believe the text, we cannot deny that we have the resources. They're there. And we have the safety, the security of this covenant relationship with Christ. And that's not just for no reason. It is there for a purpose. Go grab one of those tags from our Christmas giving tree. Go participate in our partnership with the YMCA, where we are making holiday meal gift baskets for families that are in need. It's super fun. Go shopping. Take your small group to do it. Make room for these needs in your heart. That's justice. That's mission. Now let's transition to our final point, honoring God and people. What we become is built on what we value. Let's talk about this moment. It's a real shift in the text that I'd never noticed before I studied this week. It's in verse 2. So I'm going to read the second part of verse 2 and all of verse 3 for us, and then we're going to wrap up with some application. This is the shift. Jesus, the Messiah, is called, anointed, filled with the Spirit, called to all these elements of justice, but then something changes in verse 2. Listen for it. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance for our God, here comes the shift, here it is, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. Anybody got a faint spirit this morning? They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. The shift is that word comfort. It can also be translated consolation, leading people into a place where they have more peace than they did before, leading people into healing, and as the text suggests, leading people into worship and praise and rejoicing. So two themes to lift up here very briefly, empathy and worship. Empathy is how we honor people. Worship is how we honor God. Empathy, this is linked to that word, comfort those who mourn. When you're in mourning, it's tough. It is really hard. The longer I'm a pastor, the more I recognize that especially the Christmas season is not a happy season for everybody. It's tough. And people with the best intentions will come up to you and they might say, Hey, I I know you lost someone that you love this year. How are you doing? Is there anything I can do for you? And that's great. That's a very kind and valid thing to say to somebody who's hurting. Let me just say that in my journey, what has really been comforting to me, what has been consoling to me, is a friend who just sits with me and just says, I'm here and I'm sorry. Not what can I do, not, you know, all this other stuff. It's all good. It's all important. But just there. Maybe feeling a little bit of what I feel. I think about when Jesus says, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't it great when someone who knows you're in mourning just comes to you and just by sitting with you, you feel that burden lift just a little bit because someone else is carrying it with you too. It's not just yours and yours alone to carry anymore. Messiah set this example for us. When he lost his friend Lazarus, yes, he went in. Yes, he took action. But first, he took time to weep. So, Bethany, will you take time to weep with those who weep? Will you take time to come beside your elderly neighbor, and this is her first Christmas without her husband? I'm praying for one of my neighbors, a guy my age, who is trying to be that presence. His family's trying to be that presence for one of their neighbors. Isn't that a powerful thing? Isn't that an amazing thing? I know so many of your stories here in the room, and I know there are those of you, this is your first Christmas without your brother. It's your first Christmas without grandma. It's your first Christmas without mom. Don't don't push that down. Find someone that you can be safe with. Find someone that will sit with you, and they ain't going to fix it for you. They're just going to be with you. That's it. If you want a place to do this, let me suggest our longest night service. This has been such a blessing to my family. December 21st, just go. There are details in your bulletin. It's a powerful night where we can just worship Christ together and we can do so in a spirit recognizing that this is a season of loss for many. That brings us to our final point. Worship is another calling of the people of God. This is in verses 10 and 11. This is so powerful. I wish I could read this with just my whole heart and soul being into it. I read it and I want to be in it and I hope you do too. Listen to this, verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, how much? Greatly, greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise. That's worship, you guys. Cause worship to spring up before the nations. This is a value that is springing to life. Open up your bulletin and pick up one of these cards, would you? Would you just hold that up for me? This is just one thing, but it is a moment of praise. It is a moment on Christmas Eve, when so many people that we are connected to who might not have anywhere else to go, we can say to them, hey, come with me. Why should we bother to do that? Because the text tells us that will be the place. Maybe not just in one moment, maybe over a lifetime, but that will be the rhythm, that will be the experience of worship for them where they see God. And we have the opportunity to do that, friends. We're gonna honor people by being intentional with them, by showing empathy to them, and we're going to honor God by saying to those around us, if you don't have a place to be on Christmas Eve, join me. I love my church. I love being here. I would love for you to come with me. Take a bunch of these invitations. If you've signed up to serve on one of our neighborhood prayer teams, just want to encourage you, grab a bunch of them and everybody that you're praying for, ask God to give you an opportunity, if he wants to, if you are led to, to just extend that and say, hey, look, I've been praying for you. I don't know what's going on in your life. Join me. Join me for a beautiful night of worship on December 24th. It's two weeks from Monday. That's crazy. Like it's almost Christmas. But Christmas Eve has to come first and the people of God have to worship. On Christmas Eve, because it's too good. It's too good to pass up. It will lift the spirits of the people in your life who don't have a church home, but it will draw out a part of who they are into thriving that they have maybe never experienced before. And they'll see that they're an image bearer. They'll see that they have the Ruach, they have the breath, they have the Spirit of God in them. And they need us to invite them. So use this tool to the glory of God. Thank God that we have a place to invite people to. Thank God that we have the freedom to worship. And as we close, I want to invite you to look back over your outline and just consider with me these three values we've been talking about today. Spirit-filled and anointed. Justice and mission, living for justice. And then honoring God and people. I told you guys earlier that part of kind of how I'm wired, part of my values is that honoring people piece. I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. It's just something that I feel like I have. Which one of those values trips you up the most? If you got one that you're like, cool, I I think I'm okay with that one, which one is a challenge for you? Which one is a mountain for you to climb? I'll say that for me, it's that spirit-filled and anointed piece. I I know, it's kind of ironic because so many think of my job as the job that you got to be spirit-filled and you got to be anointed. No, 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 no. You are spirit-filled and anointed to do what God has called you to do, not just because you have this title like I have. I struggle with this sense of being spirit-filled and anointed because I fear and anxiety will keep me from ordering my life around the love of God that must be first. Those things will keep me back from really living into this identity. And I've seen it happen to other leaders. I've seen it happen to other people so gifted in ministry or so gifted in so many different fields. We talk ourselves out of things. We say, you know what, it can't be me. I'm not that special. I'm just some schmo. No, you are spirit-filled and you are anointed, Bethany. You, the people of God. And what will God do with you this week? What will God do if we really started to believe this? If we focused all throughout the season of Advent, this is my prayer, that when we see something that reminds us of Christmas, that we remember, I am spirit-filled and anointed. I am called by God to the work of justice. I'm called to see. I'm called to honor God and honor people. This year is the first time uh, I actually hung up a significant amount of Christmas lights at our house. Year one, couldn't get to it. Last year, we just had a, well, we had just had a baby, but that was my excuse. <laughs> and I finally hung up some Christmas lights this year. And I love it because I have to walk under them to come into the front door of my house. And when I walk under those lights, one of the things I want to think about, and may this be an encouragement to you this week, is by the grace of God, I am spirit-filled and I am anointed. Just walking under some Christmas lights. What will God use to remind you of your identity, of his value expressed in you in the week ahead? May you have eyes to see and ears to hear at Bethany. Please join me in prayer. Father, we're so grateful that in your faithfulness to us, which we do not deserve, you have said, come and worship me. You have said, come and be my people. Be spirit-filled and anointed. Come, look for opportunities to be a just people. And God, we know that you've been honored by our time here in worship. We want to take that now, really hold to it with both hands and say, God, how would you have us respond? We'll have time as we sing to really have you speak to us through your spirit. May it be so. And as Jesus submitted to you again and again, may we do the same. May your kingdom come and your will be done. Continue to lead us now as we worship you. We pray in the mighty name of Christ, amen.